very good question. What's the Parsha? Okay, this week is Parsha's Devarim. We are starting a new book. Woo! Okay. Oh, one person coming. Okay. Can I close the door behind you? Okay, so we are starting book number five. I should probably get going. It's helpful. Yeah. This book is helpful. And it's on page 939, if you have the blue Hamashim, right? We know that, right? It's a Hamash is actually mean, literally means a fifth, right? So, yeah, it's a fifth. Wait, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the what is Devarim called in English? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Does anybody know what's another name? Huh? Anybody numbers? know? Numbers. It, no, it's not numbers. Huh? Literally, it means <coughs> things, words, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, in the, in the Gemara and other, Devarim is kind of like a new name, like, like the last, I don't know, seven, eight hundred years that we call the Devarim. Um, but in the in the Gemara, they refer they had different names, and one of the names that it's referred to, it is referred to as yeah yeah, is uh, Mishnah Torah, the repetition of Torah, which is exactly what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is the re- the repetition of the law. So um, so basically, so what's going on over here? What's what is this book? This book, if we were if we we've been talking in different books about what is the time frame. For the book, so so Devarim, Deuteronomy, is how do you say belonging to Moshe, Moses, Moses's Mo- property? Moses's Moses's right? Mm-hmm. We can. So this is Mo- Moses's swan song to the Jewish people. It's his final farbringen. The Torah uh-huh. is going to open up, and it's going to say this. These are the words that Moshe spoke to the Jewish people. We're going to skip a second. And verse 2, it says on 11 days from Chorev, da-da-da, and, first, and verse 3, bar ba'im shana, it was in the 40th year, Chodesh, in the 11th month, uh, on the first of the month, Deber Moshe, Bnei Yisrael, Moshe speaks to the Jewish people, everything that Hashem told him to say. Okay? Now, if we know that in, we know in the Chomish, the months do not have names. The months have numbers. So does anybody know which is the 11th month? Um, Elul. Not Elul. Oh, yeah, because it's not... Chodesh. Who's one? Who's the first? Who's the first? Which month is Chodesh Harishon? Is the first month. Nisan is the first month. Nisan is always called... The Chodesh is called Chodesh Harishon. It's the first month. Okay, so if we have Nisan, Iyar. Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Elul, Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislei, Teve, Shvat. Okay, so the first day of the month of Shvat, in the 40th years, in the 40th year that the Jews are in the desert, Moshe starts speaking to the people. Okay, so that's in biblical years, it's going to be the year 2488. On the first day of Shvat, um, he starts to speak. Moshe passes away on the 7th of Adar of that same year. So the most amount of time that this whole monologue could have been was 37 days. Mm-hmm. Now we know that Torah only writes down things, there's only things recorded in the Torah that are relevant for generations. Okay? So we don't actually know how many, how much was actually said. We know that this is, a, this is what's recorded of what was said because this is the stuff that's relevant to all of us for now. So the whole book over here is on the, in the, in the biggest picture 
um, it's 37 days long. So, you know, when we're talking last, last week, we were talking about the last Chumash, we, we mentioned that we don't really know what happened when the Jews were in the group. Like we hear about them in transition at the beginning and the transition at the end. We don't really know what's happening in the middle years when everything was set up and organized. And one of the things that we also don't know is what did their, their interactions with Moses look like? Like how often was he available? Was he, you know, they didn't have a shul, they didn't have a big Knesset on Shabbos for the rabbi to come in. Like, like what was their interactions with Moshe during that amount of time? It's not so clear like how much they had, but we do know that in the last 37 days of his life, Moses was extremely available to the people. There was like one long for bringing going on. He was like, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you everything that I've been thinking about, everything that you need to know to continue on in your journey. And listen up, people. Julia, question? What's a Knesset? What? What's a Knesset? Yeah. Knesset is a gathering. Oh, a big Knesset is a house of gathering. Okay, we talk about a show, a show, a, a show. Synagogue is called either a big Knesset, a house of gathering, or a big Medish, a house of learning. Those are the other names. Those are the other names for a synagogue. This is the only book that is not. This is in first person. While the others are all in third, and this yeah. is the book that's when we were talking about that. That's what was being referred to. That there's one book written in first person. So this is it. This is Moses. Yes. So this book, this book, we're gonna. It's uh, where do we come now? We come with us. No, no. Okay. Class, okay. Class, so yes. Yeah, so this book Chumash Devarim is going to be slightly different stylistically than everything that we've had till now. And the question that we want to also ask ourselves is, what do we learn from that? Because or else, it, you know, that, why, why, is that, uh, why is that relevant? So um, before we go into the book itself, I want to talk about, I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about, first of all, you know, as Eliana said, Dvarim means things. It also means words. There's a lot of words that are going on over here. This is, you know, Moses is speaking to the people for a very long time. He has a lot to say to them. He, he repeats lots of things that are very, very important for the Jewish people. There are parts of the Shema that we hear about for the first time in this book. We have a repetition of the Ten Commandments. We have repetition of all the major laws. Moses blesses the people. There's like a lot of stuff going on in the entire book. <coughs> and um, something that's very interesting to pay attention to, um, does anybody remember where do we first meet Moses as an adult? In the desert. In the desert. Yeah. When do we hear him? Right. He, we, we, he, right. He's in Egypt, and he and, and there's a one one Egyptian hitting a. Oh yes. Right. Is hitting a, a. But we don't hear him speak then. We meet him, but we don't hear him. Weird. When is the first time we hear Moses? Speaking. On the mountain, like with the fire, the burning. When the burning bush. Burning, burning bush, right? Moses at the burning bush is the first time we hear Moses speaking. Wow. And Hashem says to him, go save my people. I'm totally paraphrasing the conversation here, by the way. <laughs> what does Moses say to God? When, when no. God, why not? Wait, Anybody wait. remember why he says no? Why can't I go? He didn't think he was good enough. Why, what part did he think was good enough? He didn't think he could communicate well. Bing, 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 bing. He says, anochi. I am not a man of words. I cannot speak. I cannot communicate. I am not the right person to say. I cannot communicate efficiently. I'm not the right person for this job. Did God want him to communicate? 
to Pharaoh and say, let my people go or I'm going to give you the plagues. Right? That whole situation. So in that preamble, Moses says to Hashem, he says to God, I'm not a man of words. And this book opens up Forty years later, we're talking about a different person. Mm-hmm. On, a, on, a, on a purely leadership, you know, if we could take a lesson from a leadership position, um, sometimes throwing yourself into that place of teaching and 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 uh, teaching and leading gives us the skills that we need to be communicators, you know? Um, something just fell into my head, so I'm gonna share with you just because I, whatever. But um, after my mother passed away, somebody came up to me, and she's, um, she's a woman who's like, you know, does the speaker circuit situation, you know? And she said, you know, your mother got me into speaking. Because my mother organized this group on Long Island of uh, brides and grooms, of having young couples meet and speak to somebody about Judaism and family purity, blah, blah, blah. And my mother went to this woman and said, I think you should do this. And she's like, I'm not a speaker. <laughs> like, why should I do this? And she said, her father had just recently passed away and she was not like in a giving space. And my mother said to her, you can do this. I know you can do it. And she arranged drivers and she did. And that was like, she, she credits this as the genesis of her becoming a speaker. And I think like, we're in a space and getting up and speaking publicly is hard for a lot of people. I think it's like the number one fear that people have of public speaking. Um, it's not an easy thing, and I think that whenever we push ourselves a little bit, because we do, in fact, have something to say, um, it's, it's something that benefits us and it benefits the world around us. And I think, you know, not that I'm going to end up being Moses, but I feel like that place, just as such a practical thing of Moses starting off and saying, I cannot talk, and 40 years later, him being able to, like, really you know, speak, speak, you know, communicate super effectively, that's, um, I think that's just something that we can walk away with. The other thing that's very interesting before we get into the book is Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, is stylistically different, as Erica said. It's written in first person. You have Moses saying, and I said, and I did, and God said to me, and da-da-da-da-da. Um, and, and on the one hand, that's like, huh, that's interesting. And on the other hand, our sages tell us that every single word of the five books of Moses is from Hashem, it's from God, and if you deny the divinity of any of it, like, that's not good, okay? So what do we do with that? Like, what, what do we, how do we look at this book, and again, how does, how does it speak to us right now? And a lot of the sages have this version of the conversation that the book of Deuteronomy is in fact a bridge. It's a bridge between us being in the desert and Hashem saying, you should do this, to us saying, this is what my relationship with Hashem looks like. And the person who teaches it to us wow. the first is Moshe. And the, and the, and the Gemara uses the expression, that Hashem was speaking through Moshe's throat. What, he wasn't, he was saying his own words, he was saying his own, but it was so he was so connected to God that whatever came out of his mouth was what God would have wanted to say. And that's why we end up having the incredible divinity still in here. And it also, one of the things that they say, 
the sages talk about that if you want to look at um, if you want if you want to say in the first four books and say why is this next to this that's not really such a legitimate question God put it in however it is is where it is right they still don't want to know why is this next to this but like it's it's a less but in, they say in the book of Devarim in the book of Deuteronomy because Moshe put it together Moshe gave it over to us there has to be some logic going on to why this is next to this so when you look in Genesis and Exodus oh you go it's like I don't know that that's I don't see that jump, how that happened. Yes, because that's a different thing. But once we start talking, Moses is communicating to us, then we need to say, wait a second. How does this make sense? How, do we, how does this fit into my life? How does this fit into my anything that I know? How does this, what's the logic behind what's going on over here? And in, and in the book of Deuteronomy, the sages say that is a legitimate question to ask. We could say, why did this story come next to that story? How did this happen over there? I want to make a caveat, which is a nice word, by the way. If you want to speak in the voice of God, you got to be a little bit connected, or maybe a lot connected. Moses is in a place. Did anybody ever see like an old couple telling us, retelling a story of what happened? Like Mm -hmm. this one starts the sentence, this one finishes the sentence. They correct. They like they're saying the same. It's like one person telling the story but in two bodies. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that experience? I've seen it happen. It's like... So um, that's really... When we're... I'm always very careful with, to say, like, this is my opinion. This is what I think. This is, you know... When I... When, when you... I don't speak in the name of God. I, I, you know, I feel like there's enough to say on his own. He doesn't need me to speak for him. But I feel like the place that we do represent God in this world, we have to understand that we need to be maybe some kind of vessel, whether it's more translucent, more connected, they, you know, depending on what different types of relationships, but I feel like it's, it's um, and this again is my opinion, so you don't have to take it or if you don't want to, but I feel like too many people speak in the name of God, but they're really giving their opinions in that sentence, and you need to be very careful about what we're doing. I could think this is a good thing to do, but it's very, if I want to say that God says you should do blah, 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 I got to make sure that God really wants you to do that. And it's not just like what I think. God said you should go clean your room. Uh, maybe not. Um, so, so, that's, so that's something. And, and one of the things that we end up getting, and really, so, so back to like, I just want to finish this thought before I forget it, because I'm liable to do that. Um, there's different ways that you have relationships with Torah. We have the relationship with Torah where we sort of receive what Hashem says. And then it's our choice to yes, do, not do. But it's a let, 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 let's go out on them and say, like, if God actually said something to me directly, I would have a harder time to say no, even though we're human beings and we have plenty of time to say no to what God says to us. But, but then the question is, what do I do in the gray space? What do I do in the place where I'm not 100% sure what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, how do, I, how do I step into authenticity in that space? And that, I think, is, is really what, what the book is telling us. It's like, you know, Hashem says, keep Shabbos, eat kosher, da-da-da. Okay, those, let's say, however, and, and of course, there's like lots of ways to do all of those things. There's, there's no one way to do any of that stuff. But, um, but then like, Certain things, and, and how do we how do we do 
how do we do the things like on the ground? How does this work out for us right now? And right here, um, I think like the more that we are connected, we're able to hear, we, we end up being like that old couple that finishes each other's sentences. Oh, I, I, I kind of do know what God would want for me to be doing right now. And I think it's a very valid and very important question for us to be asking, what does Hashem want me to be doing? What does Hashem want me to be doing right now? And I think, and this is my, my first rock to all of us, that I think this is, according to my calendar, this is our last partial class that we're doing together because next week is Tisha B'Av and we're not going to have a class. I think like, you know, we ha- we've, we've spent this time together learning and we're going to be moving forward. And now the question that we want to ask ourselves is like, okay, how does this impact my life? What do I do differently? Or how do I have an interaction, you know, that's authentic and that's godly and that's holy and that's healing? Those are all questions that we need to continue to ask ourselves because that changes all the time. In everybody's life, it changes. And as women, that changes even more so. We need to, we need to like really be staying, keeping the finger on our pulse and saying, like today, what does Hashem want of me? And like, well, it doesn't matter that last week I was able to do, sit and have chavruses before my day started, chavruses after my day started, and, and I did this and I did, okay, but right now in this reality, what does Hashem want me to do and how do I stay connected in this space? That's something that's an important question. And I think like we're sort of being sent off on the book of Devarim, which is very much Moshe sort of putting Hashem's words and vision into, into uh, you know, in, into our, into transmitting that into our life. And one of the things that we are trying to do with this is, is we're emulating God, right? God created the world through speech, and we speak and we talk and we try to be godlike in that, in that we try to create in our speeches. We clearly do not say let there be light and all the light works, but... But, um, but I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make a perfected world by emulating God with our speech. So that's a little bit about the book of Devarim that we are opening up. The other thing that I want to say is that, you know, when you say we're opening a new book, like, it's not just that we're opening a new Chumash, but, like, it's a new book for all of us. We're opening this new page, and it, it, that did not even make sense. <laughs> we're opening this new page, we're opening this new space, Somehow that made some kind of random jumble, not very coherent. Um, and and I and 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 we have to be able to look at ourselves with fresh eyes and say, this is a new space, this is something new, and how am I gonna move forward with this? And and in the partial, we're actually opening a new book, we're opening a new space, and that we should be open to opening a new page and a new space and saying, how do I move forward with that? Okay, with that by way of inter- introduction, what's going on over here? So the first thing we have is if you look inside the first, if you look at the first Pasuk um, of Devarim, um, these are the words that Moshe speaks to the Jewish people, and it gives us like very, very, very detailed um, locations about where Moshe was speaking, on the other side of the Jordan, in the desert, in the Arava, I don't know how they translate Arava, um, opposite uh, Suf, between Paran and Tophel and Levan, and the sages and Rashi brings it down like a lot of these places don't actually exist. They're not actually places. Like, what is this? Like, you know, like you imagine like you have your your Google world tells you to go here and it doesn't actually exist. There's nothing there. And so Rashi brings down that all of these things that Moshe started to embed in the conversation are are subtle rebuke to the Jewish people for things that they made the things that they messed up. And in general. You know, it's not a really efficient way of getting somebody to change their ways 
by saying, you are such a, and you can't believe it. That's not how we get people to, to change their behavior, right? But if we could somehow very subtly say, you can do better, this is something that you messed up in, and how do you do this better, then, then that's kind of what's going on. One more thing I actually want to point out, and because the sages talk about this a lot. Um, Moses is coming to the people and he's saying, you know, you messed up with the golden calf and you complained. It's, it's in, like hinted to these places. It's like the golden calf and complains about the mana and sending the spies. He's going to go into the spies in greater detail. And they're like, Moses is not talking to the people who did this, these sins. Where are those people? Dead. They're dead. Yes, those people died over the last 38 years, last 40 years. They died. They're buried in the desert. Who is he speaking to? They're children, right? They're children who are now going into the land. They're at the border. They're going to go into the land of Israel. So the question that we always say is, well, why bring up old stuff? Like, how is that helpful? You're not even talking to the people who made the mistakes. But the reason Moses is bringing these things up is because um, there are certain common things that we have, like maybe Jewish fatal flaws, every, you know, like... Uh, culturally, we have issues. And if you, one of the things I noticed when I came to the class yesterday with Gila, there are certain common themes that come up in, in different areas that sort of like, they're templates for lots of behavior. And so one of the things that Moses is telling the people, and he's going to say it over and over again, is that there are things that we do that it was done before, and if you look into the motivation, you look into what happened, you'll understand, like, it wasn't just, oh, they made a mistake then, but how do we move forward and how do we do it differently um, uh, for the next, um, you know, going in? Because or else there's no point in saying, there's no point in saying, you know, 38 years ago, you guys sent spies, and it was a terrible thing that you did, and we, we all got messed up, and we ended up staying all this time in the desert. Like, how is that helpful to say that now, right? So we know that on the spot, Moses corrected the people. There was punishment given. There was correction given. It wasn't that things weren't, uh, weren't dealt with, but at the same time, but at the same time, what happens is Moses is telling the people, pay attention. Pay attention to these things. These are, these are things that they come back in different forms, um, they come back in different areas and different manifestations. And if you were to step back, you would see that it's really all the same thing happening again and again and again. So he gives them all these places. Um, and the first thing that he talks to the people about over here is um, he's still, he's giving a lot of his, his credentials. He's uh, still going all the way till... We're up to, like in verse five, that they're at the, uh, he's starting to explain this. He's starting to explain. It says, on the other side of the, of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moshe starts to explain the Torah to tell the people. And he says that Hashem started, we were at Sinai, we got the Torah, and we had to start moving. Rashi says a very interesting thing. He says, there is a Torah, that Rashi says that Moshe explained the Torah in 70 different languages. Why? Which is a good question. Why? Because like they probably spoke one language. They, let's say they let's let's two. go out on them. They spoke two. Yeah. They spoke Lashna Kodesh and no, they speak Aramaic and Egyptian. What what languages do the people speak? They didn't have the languages. You know, they you know they didn't speak Korean and Japanese and whatever. Like why is Moshe explaining the language? Why is Moshe explaining Torah in seventy different languages? Okay, so uh, it's. 
Rashi doesn't. Rashi doesn't quote sources. Um, it's from the. It's from the Gemara. That's so weird. Uh, one second. Let me see. Uh, no, he reads from the Medrash Tanfuma. He reads from the Medrash. Rashi brings it from the Medrash. Rashi doesn't bring sources, but I have a Chumash here that has Rashi's sources, like like reverse engineering the sources, so it has the sources here. So the Medrash says this, and so like, because Be'er is a, is, a, is, a, is an unusual word. That's why, that's why the Medrash picks up it. He says Be'er. Right? Ha'el Moshe Be'er Satorazos. It's a strange word, so the Medrash says, what does that mean? They bring other places that it says it, and, and they bring this... And the measure says that he taught the Torah in 70 different languages. I don't know if this is a perfect link, okay? Because I made it up. So, but I think it, I think it works. Um, right now we're, in, we're in, the, in the nine days. And one of the things that um, the, the Lubavitcher ever pushed was that during the nine days, during, sorry, during the three weeks, we should learn the laws of the temple. We're in, in a place of mourning, and let's learn a little bit about the laws of the temple. One of the laws, which is very interesting, is that every we know that in the tabernacle in the in the desert, it was a traveling sanctuary, and things had um, sticks because they had to carry them. The ark had sticks, the menorah had sticks, the the altars had sticks, the table, everything had sticks, right? And whenever they would travel, whenever they needed to travel, they would put the sticks in, they would take it, and when they got there, they would take the sticks out. So the menorah didn't sit with sticks; it was just a traveling, it was a practical thing. How do we get the, how do we get the vessels from point A to point B, right? One vessel had sticks that never left. Anybody know which, which vessel had the sticks? Hmm? The altar. Not the altar. No, it's the, the box. Yes, yes. Um, What's it called? Yes, the altar, the, the ark, sorry, the ark, the ark of The ark that had the, that had the, the tablets in it, those sticks, were never removed. They were never removed. They stayed in the. They stayed in the. In the alt. They stayed in, in the ark. I'm down here, Right. They stayed in the ark kodesh. They stayed in the ark all the time. And a lot of the commentators talk about the idea that people needed to know, and we today need to know, that Torah doesn't only belong in one place. We need to be able. We need to be able to pick up and move Torah to wherever it is that we find ourselves. And one of and the re, and the link that I see is that Moshe explains the Torah in 70 different languages because we need to know that Torah has to be accessible to us in every single language, in every single culture, in every single headspace. If you look at us around the table, we're coming from multiple continents and multiple countries, multiple mother tongues, all different kinds of points of reference. And if Torah doesn't speak to me in my language, then there's some fail going on over there. Torah has to speak to me with everything, both in the language that I speak, but not only the language that I speak, because anybody who knows languages, which I know very few of them, but we have some people who know more languages than I do, language isn't only the words you use, it's also culture, and there's so much in, embedded in the language, and it's not just, can I teach Torah in Spanish? No, I cannot teach Torah in Spanish. True, true story, I cannot teach Torah in Spanish, but the culture, the culture is also very, very different. And that's what Moshe wants to make sure that we all understand that just like the ark has those poles ready to travel all the time, we're gonna be in different places. We, the Jewish people, are not static. We did not stay in the Holy Land and have our whole history come up in that place. 
we've, we've been exiled, we've traveled, we ended up in far-flung points of the world, and if Torah doesn't speak to us in those spaces and in those cultures, then something's wrong. And that's what Moshe wants to ensure, that we understand that Torah has to speak to us whoever we are, wherever we are, in whatever language and culture we are that we speak. Okay, so that's the first, yes? Has anyone made the point of like two sticks that we actually hold the Torah itself with two sticks on its scroll? Ashkenazim do. Well, that's practical. That's just practical. How else do you hold it? How do the Well, the Sephardi, they, they actually, it's in, it's all embedded, but as I said, I realized that they're actually wrapped around, they're wrapped around holes inside, they just aren't open. They have their Torahs around. Is round. What? So it's like you've never That's seen so cool. It's a round Torah. It's a ra- it's, it's a round Torah, and it opens like this. And so they do have um, sticks to move it. But so yeah. It does, but, but it doesn't open. Roll it up. Yeah, yeah. Like that whole thing of like cool. check it out. No, this, they don't. They open it. They open it. They open. Imagine a round thing about this big that has a lock. You open it up, and they can show it around to everybody. It's very heavy. It's very heavy. We got a Torah at our Chabad this year. Mazel um, so I'm saying Torah has to speak to us wherever we are and wherever we're going. Now in this parsha specifically, Moshe is going to highlight one main thing that he talks about. First of all, he's like, we have to leave, we have to leave, uh, we have to leave uh, Sinai. The people were there, um, and he's and the, and the story that he talks to the Jews about here a lot is. Um, uh, well, first he says. First he says that the people were too um, quarrelsome. He needed some help, so that's over here. Um, uh, over here, uh, uh, chapter one, verse nine, that he can't handle them all. He can't handle them all by themselves. There's too many people. That's too many issues. So they have this whole. They have this whole system of. Um, of of a hierarchy of who of judges and helping each other and da da da. Okay, then the next thing. So they get these they get these helpers for Moshe. So they have um, you know we're, for us it's a very familiar system because you if anybody has like knows how like a judicial system works you have like a smaller court and a higher court and then a state court and the federal court. So like that's sort of what Moshe ends up setting up with people. Um, that was his father in law's uh, his. Um, and he has some laws about judgment. And then the thing he talks about is them sending the spies. And if you take a look, it's in verse 1. No, not true. Chapter 1, verse 22. It's the third aliyah. And Moshe starts telling the people that you all came to me. And you were all, you know, Rashi said, like, they came like sort of a balagan, a whole gang. And they said... Craziness, I guess. I don't chaos. know. Balagan is chaos. It's like just chaos. It's not. It's a good Hebrew word to know. They're like probably the most common, most common uh, used word. So chapter one, verse twenty-two. So Moshe says, "You all." What does it mean? It means like. No, what does Baduk mean? Baduk means it's it's, it's uh, certified. We checked it out. Where did that come from? Okay. So I always hear that. Right. Um, so, so the people come to Moshe, and they all say that we want to go check out this land. Now, if anybody remembers from last Chumash in Shemos, two Chumash ago, three Chumash ago, when they send the spies, it says that Hashem says to send the spies. When Moshe now is telling the story, and he's repeating how this whole thing went down, he's like, this was your initiative, you guys wanted it, it wasn't like... 
he, it's, it, if you look at the wording, he's not so, um, he's, he's, he's not like super gung-ho about it, but he does say that he, he agreed to it in verse 23. He did see, like, the, the language that he used to describe them coming is chaotic. They wanted people to go spy out the land for them and repeat, you know, see how we should go and what we should do. Um, and so he talks about the whole spy, the whole story with the spies, and he goes over it in great detail. And if you really want to have like a super study of what was going on, you really need to take both of those stories and put them together. But I want to, I want to talk about one part of it because do we know the story of the spies? They went, they came back with a terrible message, and the Jews ended up in the desert for forty years. Right? That's the cliff notes of the story. Um, and I think that this is something that. Um, I think it's very, I think it's as we're sort of like one leg out. I think it's an, one foot out, yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's an important, I think it's an important headspace. And I want to sit on this this for a second. The spies go and they say, no, no, we can't, we can't, we can't do that. We can't. And one of the words that they that they uh, use in the other home, in the other parsha was that it's a land that eats its inhabitants, mm-hmm. right? Eretz Ochelat Yisraeli. It's a land that eats its inhabitants, and um, it's so easy to learn Torah when you're in a place that fosters learning Torah. Mm-hmm. You know, we like the class, we don't like the class, we like it more, we like it less. To be able to, all of us know that when you get on the airplane and you go back to reality, whatever our reality is, life, Eric. I hope I never do. Yeah, I'm, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about it now, I want to talk about it from, from an empowering kind of way. There is the tendency of life to eat us up and to take all of our time and to take all of our energy. And we forget the vision we had of ourselves. And I think that what happened, this is my take, right? The, the spies, they, they, Moses said, God wants us to go and build the land and make it a holy place. And, you know, and they're like, we're going to have to like work the land. We're going to have to have like a government and collect the garbage and, and deal with electrical outages. Like, no, no, we want to sit and we want to learn Torah. We want to hang out with Moses. We want to eat the manna and drink the water from Miriam's well. And no, that's not for us. And at the end of the day, the end of the day, like, they got what they wanted. They ended up spending the next 38 years with Moses, eating manna, learning Torah, drinking water from the, the well of Miriam. Like, they got what they wanted. But did they get what Hashem, did Hashem get what he wanted? No. No. Because Hashem wanted them to go in and build the land and do whatever they had to do. So I think like it's for us as we're stepping out, I mean, I'm not stepping out, I'm staying here, but like, <laughs> I'm be quite honest. But I feel like it's so easy for us to be consumed by the realities that we're going back to and to forget the space and the learning, maybe not the learning, but like, how did we ever have time to do that learning? And I want to give us a bracha that even though we're going to a place that the tendency of the world is to consume us, it will fill our lives with 
busy work, whether we're teachers or lawyers or we're running program, whatever it is that we're doing, we're, we're you know, whatever it is that we're doing, we have to carve out space that says, this is my space that is just like those are the needs that I need to meet and those people need those needs met and I have a deadline for this and a deadline for that. If we do not carve out time for our Torah, for our relationship with God, all of a sudden, it's not going to happen. So just like some people were really good about going to the gym and making sure, like, if you just wait for a great time to go to the gym, never going to happen. It's never going to happen, right? If you say, I want to have a chance, I want to give myself five minutes space, a ten minutes, it doesn't, if you want to give yourself an hour space, it's not going to happen. I'm just being very honest over here. But can we all give ourselves a five-minute space before we rush into the world that says, let me think, let me talk to God, let me meditate, let me journal, let me do something to stay connected, whatever it is. Can I give myself ten minutes? I will give you the best tip. It is baduk. It is, it is checked out and, and certified and for sure. Don't open your phone until you've given your soul five to ten minutes. I promise you, you will not lose the t- you will not lose the time, right? Um, if we need to, because or else, what happens is that we we lose it. We forget. We 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 come back. We end up sort of being like the spies, and we say like, we can't. That's not what we need to do in that space. Under those circumstances, I was able to learn and dive in and have all this this you know soul filling space. But once I move out of that. I can't do it, I can't do it. I'm too busy with everything else. And I'm saying, we can do it. We just have to know that it's harder and we have to create the space for it. And so I think it's kind of, it's kind of auspicious for us that like our last Torah portion that we're doing together talks about the spies because even though the place that we're stepping into, many of us, is not the land of Israel, but perhaps our land of Israel is wherever we need to go and make a home for God, so Maybe the land of Israel is in the more distant future plans, and that's fine. We're here. We're happy to welcome anybody back. That's not what I'm saying. But if our next, our next destination, we're at the banks and we're crossing over into it, and it's going to be someplace in another country, in another state, in another space. Can we be loyal to the vision that we had for our, ourselves while we were here to say, "What does Hashem want of me? What, what does my soul need?" Not to forget to feed our soul, to remember to like do all that kind of stuff. So that is really my biggest, biggest bracha to us, is that while we're still in this space, to think, put into our planners, you know, here this space is, you know, and if it's not so realistic to do it before, like where is that space that I just plug it in? Can I have a meeting at 8, 8.10 to 8.30? Sorry, I... That time's already taken. Maybe you don't have that, that much time. And I'm, I know sometimes you will and sometimes you won't, but I really think that if we give ourselves the space, then it's doable. Um, so that's, that's, that's my bracha to us. And my, my challenge to us is to put into our, to put, what? Oh. To put, uh, for us, what's that? And I want, to, I want to give us a challenge to put something in our daily planner, like once a week for the next, Six weeks. Can we do that? Can we like anybody who comes to me and says I put a space into my calendar 
for the next, you know, once a week for the next six weeks, you'll get candy. I know if you don't, you will also get candy. <laughs> but I'll get some special candy. I don't know. I think, I think it's important for us to, to do it to remind ourselves of that. The last thing that I want to talk about um, is that this week um, has a special name. We have a couple of Shabbatot throughout the year that have a special name. And this Shabbat is called Shabbat Chazon, the Shabbat of Vision. And it's taken from the, the words of the Haftorah, which is Chazon Yeshayahu. It's the, it's the vision of Yechezkel, of Ezekiel. And he talks, sorry, Yeshayahu is, is Isaiah. And he talks about uh, the third temple. Talks about the, the he has he talks about the the his vision for peace and whatever's going to happen, um, and the Rebbe Yitzchak Barditchov tells us that on Shabbat Chazon, every single soul is shown a vision of the third temple, and um, and and it's sort of like he gives the example of like a father. Uh, a parent gave a, a, an article of clothing to a child, and they trashed it. So the, uh, the, so the parent made another article of clothing, and they trashed it. So then the parent made another, you know, clothed article and said, when you get bigger and more responsible, you can have this. And, and sort of that's what this Shabbat is. This Shabbat is that we're ha- we, we, had a temp- we had a temple, we had another temple, that didn't work out so well. And on this Shabbat, we are shown a vision. Our soul is shown a vision. If you actually see it with your eyes, we have good medication for you. But uh, our soul is shown a vision of, 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 of a perfected world. And the, the students of Rabbi Yitzchak asked, uh, asked, like, what would be the point of us being shown something that we don't actually see? Like, we don't actually, with our eyes, see a temple. We really, we don't see that. Um, and one of the things that the, the students talked about the idea was that when our soul sees something, it moves the rest of us. And we all, I believe, have had the experience of somehow randomly feeling inspiration, feeling connection, feeling like whatever. Like, how do we all end up around this table? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, you couldn't necessarily logically trace all of it back. And, and the, the place of us being able to see a vision of perfection, of unity, of peace, of a world that is truly godly and truly beautiful is something that, um, that is being shown to us this Shabbat. And if we somehow can tap into on our own level of like, what can I do to make my world and my space godly and peaceful and united and all those words that we want to have and we, earn, we yearn for it to happen, the first place to do it is to say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to make that reality happen? Where do I need to curb my jealousy, curb my envy, work on my love and my patience and my tolerance and my peace? That's what this, that's, that's what this, this Shabbat is, is giving us that energy for. So I want to give us a final, final bracha. On the calendar right now, next Thursday is supposed to be a fast day. It's the ninth above, and we're going to be, as the calendar is continuing to tick and talk, is that we are going to be uh, commemorating the destruction of the temple. But I want to give us a bracha that we step into a place of revelation and redemption to such a degree that maybe it won't happen. Maybe we'll actually not have to fast. Maybe we'll be able to 
figure out how to live with each other and get along in a beautiful, harmonious way, and we'll be able to see with our own eyes, not just some vision that gets shown to our souls, but maybe we should be able to actually see it. And the way for us to do it, and my, this is my bracha and my challenge to all of us, is to pick one step that we are doing, stepping forward into a world that is beautiful, peaceful, messianic, and holy. Have an awesome rest of the day and a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.